Hello and welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out, the podcast. We're at number 330. And I am Paul Reesmandel, one of your one half of your sellout team, and with me is Jenny Benevento. Hi, Paul. How you doing, Jenny? Doing okay. Happy 30th. Happy 30th. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken us a while to get there. I never thought anyone there. would say that to me again. <laughs> Isn't it nice? It is nice. And we're doing this one. Uh, we've had a little gap in recording uh, between uh, number 29 and number 30. Uh, well, because of, of big deals. Life. Life. Of life. But, but, but something very particular happened to both of us. Yeah. It's, 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 it's regrettable. <laughs> we both sold out. We did. <laughs> Me, me more temporarily than you, though. You're you're full. You're you're yeah, full. Yeah, that's right. Out. I did. I I I am. We 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 could talk a little more, but when we say we sold out, right? So if, if we go back to to not too many episodes ago, you quit your job. Woo! Right, and you quit your job without you know without having another one already lined up. Right, you you got your shit yeah, together. Intentionally so, yes. You know, to have some time and to figure out what your next move was would be. And, you know, and you did some traveling, which we've talked about on the show. And then a few months later, I quit my job. I didn't quite have the same agenda as you. I mean, I definitely quit uh, in order to move to Portland, Oregon, which I did. And um, and as well to kind of figure out my next move, um, hoping maybe it wouldn't be a regular job. But then I went and got a real job. <laughs> I think kind of a real job got you, though. I mean, in a way, yes. It was, it was you know, the best possible way, I think, um, that, that it all came about. And, um, and, and and also now, in the recent months, after I got my job, you now at least, you have a contract position. I do, yes. Six months. Um, you know, which, which is kind of cool. It gives you that little trial period to see how you like the job and, of course, to see how the job likes you. Yeah, no, it's like dating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's job dating. It's, it's job dating, and I, I did that a little bit. So I guess, I guess we should do the big reveal, right? We shouldn't have people okay. waiting. We should say uh, who and where we work, which you know, for friends of ours, will not be much of a surprise. But there may be a listener who to, who does not know. Uh, so I uh, took a job back in. I guess I, I for real in March of this year, 2014, with uh, Midroll Media, who podcast listeners will know better for their uh, podcasting division, the, the company that produces comedy podcasts called Earwolf. They make uh, they're responsible to podcasts, uh, Comedy Bang Bang, um, How Did This Get Made, Professor Blastoff. Uh, they do Kevin Pollock's chat show, um, Never Not Funny. Um, or are some of their well-known podcasts. It would be really awesome if this uh, went directly into an ad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you make that joke because uh, Mineral Media, which is the parent company, uh, principally makes money by selling ads on podcasts. So it started out um, really it's just Earwolf selling ads on the Earwolf shows. And uh, the founder, Jeff Ulrich, uh, found out that he was pretty good at selling ads in general and so started selling ads for other shows. 
um, that weren't on the Earwolf network. And now the company sells ads on some 120 shows. Uh, like uh, one, you know, the ones that we've talked about, you've probably heard of, or like WTF with Mark Marin, or uh, there's Doug Doug Loves Movies, um, and a number of other uh, well-known podcasts. Uh, Star Talk with uh, with Neil deGrasse Tyson. The company sells ads for them. Um, so this is an advertisement, things. basically. It's an advertisement, <laughs> I guess, for Mineral Media, because there's lots of people who've been thinking about podcast ads in our audience. I'm quite certain about it. Um, and, uh, so I started working for them back. You sold out to big podcasting, (laughs) to big, big podcasting, (laughs) getting that sweet, sweet podcasting money. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, (laughs) brought to you by Squarespace. (laughs) We're, we're not, we're not brought to you by Squarespace. Well, I mean, I guess technically <laughs> in a very literal if you go to our way. webpage yes we are technically brought to you with. but we we pay squarespace money for that that's true they yes they us. do not yeah that it is not free we pay them gladly but we do pay yes them. yeah no they're they're great and yeah. i i started out um should i just go ahead and tell tell my story and, and, and sure do yeah, it all right so i started out uh in february i kind i had kind of got a uh email Kind of out of blue from Jeff Ulrich, who is the founder of Earwolf and uh, Midroll. Um, he and I had talked uh, late last year, late 2013. I actually was on his podcast, The Wolf Den, uh, which is about the business of podcasting. Because I've been writing about the business uh, at my website, Radio Survivor. And there's just not a lot of people who write about it or write about it regularly. This is all just self-promotion. Just self-promotion. Well, hey, I mean, you know, if you're going to have a podcast, how do I tell you the story? You really did otherwise? sell out. Look at that. Yes, indeed, indeed. Um, so I was on, on his podcast and we talked. It was a fine conversation. And, you know, so a month and a half or so later, uh, he drops me a line and says, hey, do you have a moment to talk? I said, Sure. And that pretty much, you know, the conversation was we've been looking for someone to do what's called content marketing. Um, So blogging, social media, developing marketing materials and things like that. And we haven't been very happy with our candidates and we're, you know, but you know a lot about the sector and you write about it. So would you consider working for us? So we talked it out and um, his first suggestion was that we do a month contract. You know, he said that he'd gotten some advice that um, really the best person to hire is somebody you've already worked with and like. And I thought that was a great idea. You know, so since I wasn't looking for a job at the time, I thought, well, great. A month contract means that they're going to feel more confident and I'll feel more confident. Um, You know, and long story short, it worked out. And so uh, by April, I became a full-time employee. Uh, but working from home here in uh, in Portland, Oregon, doing my thing, and the uh, the main office and the studios are in in Hollywood, in Los Angeles. I've been down there once. We'll be going out again in September or later this month, I guess, uh, for the Los Angeles Podcast Festival, and we'll uh, check in as well. Um, and I've been having fun. I enjoy it. It's a very, it's a change of pace for me compared to having been a. Uh, a higher education administrator, or I, I, mean, I guess that's what I was in. I don't know. Higher education administration in IT, uh, uh, basically on somebody's yo-yo all the time. Um, it's been very nice. So what about you, Jenny? Um, I've been working since May. And, um, well, I mean, I guess I was working a little bit before that because I was 
professing uh, part-time. Professing. Um, professing. <laughs> um, to, to whom were you pr- professing? About what? Uh, <laughs> I was I was professing, yeah, so I guess when did that start? That started uh, whenever fall semester starts, so that was like... 2013? Yeah. So, so yeah. a year ago, basically. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, it started spring semester, so... Sometime in January, I, I guess see. I began. I began part-time working. So I was doing an online class for um, the graduate school I attended, and your wife attended uh, at the University of Illinois. So I was um, professing about what I do for a living, so taxonomy, uh, and that was super interesting. Like I've never uh, really been a professor, uh, so <laughs> um, I the online part was awesome. Like it was really cool because I don't know. I feel like. I don't feel defensive about it, but in explaining it to people, to people, when you say like, "Oh, I'm an I'm a professor in an online class," I think they think you are not in a real class. <laughs> um, and the thing I actually really liked about this uh, class was that it was synchronous, so it was, um, you know, everyone attended class at the same time, just like in an in person class, and you know, uh, everyone had a microphone, so they had to respond just like in a normal class. And so I, I guess I. I really kind of liked that um, aspect. Uh, also, because I didn't have to like physically go anywhere. That's very convenient. Um, and uh, so that was good. And although most of my students all lived in the same town, so that was kind of strange. <laughs> I was like, oh, it sucks for you guys that this is not an in-person class. So um, I did that for a while. And then right as that ended, um, I a a person at my at my current employer kept sort of harassing me to apply to this job that was a six month position in New York, and I used to live in New York. And uh, though because a I'm an adult who owns property, um, <laughs> I don't know. Six months seems like a long time to relocate. Um, I think had it been a shorter period of time, I would have been like, oh maybe. But I I had seen it come through. I just look at job ads in general um, to see where sort of the flow of jobs is going and uh i was like i wasn't interested in moving so i didn't i didn't think about it but my this person i know was like you know what they're having such a hard time finding someone i think you could probably work something out if you applied and they liked you you could probably work remotely um and i wasn't super looking for jobs but it was a place i really enjoyed and i went out there for the interview and it was great and so now I still live in Chicago, but I go out there, I go to New York about once a month to work at my new employer, Etsy.com, um, which if you are a lady, you have probably heard of. Uh, and if you are a dude who is married, you may you have probably heard of. <laughs> or, or you're, you're, I mean, there's plenty of dude stuff. Or on if you Etsy. are a cosplay dude, um, <laughs> you know, no, but I mean, we've done user testing and this is like, who seems okay. to know about Etsy? This is based on user research. Uh, women? Mormons, <laughs> um, uh, like hip people who live in Kansas and other like small cities, um, women who are getting married, men who are getting married because their wife will be like, look at this stuff for a wedding, and uh, men who cosplay or do steampunky type things. Oh, yeah, so, steampunky, which is sort of cosplay. It is a cosplay, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just got a little bit more of a, of a sort of old school masculinity tinge to it. Yeah, so uh, my job is generally uh, organizing all of the crap that people make in their house. And by crap, I do n- I'm do not disparaging it. I love Etsy. I'm a big fan. Uh, in my first week when we went through, 
um, someone's like, oh, do you have an Etsy account? Have you used Etsy? And I said, yes. And he's like, when did you start using Etsy? And I was like, well, let me look up my account. And it was like 2005. And he, and he went, whoa. <laughs> so I was very, I was very excited. I was like, yeah, I'm really OG on this Etsy thing. Um, so uh, it's cool. I, I mean, I think uh, you, I, you didn't mention this, but you're also working remotely. Um, so I think I like that aspect of it. And I work from home. Um, I've worked from home in other positions, but not like full time. So getting used to that, going into the office, getting used to a new culture. It's pretty cool. So that's what I've been up to. And because all e-commerce sites have a crunch time around the holidays, uh, basically when I got a job, I just started working pretty much continuously. <laughs> so now it has eased up a little bit because we're getting closer to holidays. But yeah, that's what I'm up to. And you know it. I think the working at home, right? There's some people who definitely think that working at home means um, I, you watch a lot of television and you you never get out of your out of your pajamas, and uh, and you know you really don't work. <laughs> I think is the uh, is is a, is a stereotype that some people have. It's changing, right? But I think that's a stereotype, and certainly I um I, that has not been my experience. <laughs> I have to video into all of my meetings, so I literally can't wear pajamas. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and I as well. And, 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 you know, quite a few of uh, people on our team are remote as well. In fact, my direct supervisor, who's our vice president of sales, is in New Jersey. So, you know, and I'm in Oregon and the main office is in L.A. So, right, we have a weekly uh, meeting now on Monday for the entire company. Lots of people in L.A. and then seven – or more of us all coming in remotely on a Google Hangout, right? So got to be wearing real clothes. It happens at uh, 9 a.m. Pacific. So at least for me, it's the start of the day. And uh, yeah, you know, and and I'm what I'm really enjoying for me, because the day jobs I had in the past, I had a lot of like disparate responsibilities. And to some extent, it was a, there's an on-call aspect to it, right? That if there was sort of a meltdown or there was some piece of technology not working, there's a good chance I might get roped into having to come fix something, meaning drop everything and go run and fix some projector or some other stupid thing that wasn't working. And while, um, you know, I developed systems, so I had other people in line, usually student workers ahead of me, so that who were the first line of, 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 uh, fixing, I don't know what you would call that, triage, you know, nevertheless, there'd be times when there are things that they couldn't fix or sometimes, you know, they could fix and just they, no one was happy with how they would fix it or they just needed somebody more senior, some adult to come in and say, no, this is really fucked up and it's not going to work, <laughs> you know, but so it meant that I, I didn't own my time much of the time, you know, and, and it was, and I was often, you know, had to be sort of managing projects and working on projects while also getting interrupted all the time. And I didn't enjoy that. After a while, it got to be too many things and I found that, that there's just too many challenges to keep it all going, which is one of the reasons why I, I left my last job. And so working at home and having much more uh, power over sort of the structure of my time and where I work and how I work has been great, <laughs> I have to say, because uh, I want to do the work. You know, if I didn't want to do the work, I wouldn't have taken a job. I didn't have to take it. I was doing OK. Um, so, you know, it. It's not like I was looking for something to just, you know, some sort of blow off job where it didn't require me to do very much while I just sort of sat around. Um, 
I could have already sat around. It was fine. Uh, <laughs> so I really enjoyed that aspect of that, of being able to set, you know, a lot more of that myself, even if I do kind of keep sort of regular working hours since, you know, I have meetings and stuff and deadlines and, you know, uh, just like anyone, you know, so I'm generally working a regular work day. Um, it's nice to not have to be sort of like, you're at a desk and everyone can see you're at that desk, you know, whether, <laughs> whether or not there's something for you to do right now. It's been a really nice shift. Well, yeah, I go into the office about a week a month. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I'm there, I'm like, I don't know how people get done things done in the office anymore. <laughs> like, I can't deal. Like, I'm like, there's so many people. And they're all talking to me. <laughs> like, I can't handle it. Um, so yeah, it's funny, uh, how quickly I was like, oh, wow, how did I ever get things done in an office? Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, and to me, it's really that the ability to, to, to work when there's work to be done and, you know, and, and generally speaking, I've got a stack and it's pretty full. So it's not like there isn't work to do, but sometimes you're waiting on something. I think there's an idea that if like I try and contact you at 3 p.m., like four days in a row and you're mm-hmm. never there like that might seem I, I think there is some sort of higher standard um of being sort of communicable <laughs> um if you're at home just to be like look i'm here um yeah i, I mean it, it probably does depend on what you do right right sure yeah i mean if you're out of the office all the time that's one thing but even even then being i think you have to be a little bit more uh responsible to be like here is my calendar. Here is when I will be it. You know, just because, like you said earlier, if you work in an office, someone can turn their head and see you're there. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, I think not. Most people's first instinct isn't, are they actually working? But I think if someone keeps trying to contact you and you're never there, that will start to be a little bit annoying. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly right. I mean, there, there's right. And, and that's something which I think, you know, one can work out too. What is the expectation of response? You know, what, right. you know, to some extent, right? You know, what, what is, what do you expect of me? You know, should I be available and things like that? And I think, it, I think, you know, to me, you know, and this is, and this is speaking more from my own opinion, than from my necessarily my experience at any job, um, you know, I think it really it it really should boil down to what you do, you know. Right. So, like, so if you're a server admin, for instance, there's a real kind contact. of there's a real on call <laughs> on contact kind of thing, right? And you know, with luck, you you know, you're working within a company that you know is trying to be respectful of your time and be staffed up appropriately, so that perhaps. You're not on 24-hour call because there's more than one person who might be able to fix something and that you trade off and have that time. But, you know, that's an explicit part of the position. It's an explicit understanding of what of what the job requires. Um, whereas if you're a writer, you know, um, and that's principally what you do, there's a little less of that kind of on-call, immediate response sort of stuff necessary. Um, I mean, there's, it doesn't mean you, sh- you can't be – you can't – be gotten a hold of but i know that uh, for me you know so a good portion of what i do is write um you know it really helps for me not to have a chat window open <laughs> it really helps for you know if right, I need, and like i need that two I, hours to focus right and where where i work there would be what you would do then is on your calendar say do not disturb during these two hours yeah, and i have no so, problem but doing again that, yeah. i think there's more of a yeah i mean i think when you work at home because you are a little bit out of sight there is this like 
you're an adult, do what you, you know, just be responsible. But part of that being responsible is being extremely visible about what you're doing in a way that I think if you were in the office, you would not have to be. Well, you know, I wonder, I wonder if that varies depending on the, the, the company. So, you know, um, you're probably uh, aware of the base camp, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've so read their I've, books. Rework, right? I yeah. think it's one of their books. Yeah, I read it like one day at the Barnes & Noble because um, it was a pretty quick read. <laughs> yeah, it's a good book, though. I really liked it. Yeah, by Jason Fried and somebody else. And, and, and some other guy. <laughs> he's, is he the CEO of the company? I think he is. Or, yeah, he started it. Whatever. You know, and, and part of the premise of the book is that um, companies can be a lot more effective if they treat their employees like, like adults and let well, them and work that on remote their own work, terms. Remote yeah. work is the future of work because just – the talents people have aren't always going to be concentrated in the same city as where, you know, what you, the jobs that are needed. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you may be in Chicago looking for a, a web developer and because of the, you know, wh- whatever the employment situation was. And then certainly in Chicago, I was in that situation, which we were looking for web developers and having a difficult time because it was at the same time that Groupon was like expanding like crazy <laughs> and sort of just hiring anybody just about. Um, and it salaries way more than a university could pay. And it was really one of those situations it's like, boy, I wish I could hire somebody in Lexington, you know, or right. Cincinnati uh, who would love. To, to work for the salary we have because there isn't a, a, a Groupon hiring at double the rate <laughs> in Cincinnati or Lexington or something, right? And I think that's it. And it's similar to, I think, how I got hired because, uh, you know, uh, Midroll had advertised for the job, um, you know, but I think probably mostly, I, of course, I'd never seen it because uh, <laughs> I wasn't looking, um, but, you know, probably had a lot of applicants. I don't know. I never asked from like Los Angeles, you know, and it's a big city, of course, but it's not as big as the entire country. <laughs> you know. Well, and the thing I do like about rework, which I don't know anyone who is at a position where this is possible yet, although I don't know anyone who works at uh, Thirty Seven Signals, um, <laughs> where it, apparently it is possible, uh, is the idea that like, hey, I live in Chicago, but I'm going to choose to work between three p.m. and nine p.m. or whatever every day. Like, I guess in the book they they're very much like you should have a set schedule. We don't care what that schedule is, but it should be relatively set so we know you're going to be around during these times. I think that's really reasonable, right? No, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's I think, totally reasonable. And I think but I don't for, think most places let you do that. Like they're like, It's like still like, well, you have to be here around 9 to 5. You know, it's funny. I mean, I haven't tested it, right? So for me, my preference, frankly, is keeping something like a 9 to 5 schedule-ish, um, right? Because what, when I say ish, because it means, you know, I like to have some flexibility, but you know I may make up the time, in, you know, after dinner. I may work on something in the evenings. I may work something, work on something at a different hour. You know, certainly I know, you know, at like so the podcasting studio we have, there's no way to work a nine to five schedule because right, some yeah, podcasts get recorded at eight p.m. They get you know they get recorded all different hours. Um, because that's you know you're working around the schedule of all these comedians uh, and all the, and all the talent and their guests, um, you know. And I think though you know, but if you're programming, because right, you know, Thirty Seven Signals is effectively a, a web development company, a web app company. You know, right? There could be ways of doing that. And I think you know, I, so I have a friend I, I, who 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 owns a company now that that's pretty successful. You know, that that makes that develops web applications. 
Um, and I, I have another friend who works for him. And I, they, they don't have an office, right? You know, uh, everyone works remotely and they, they do staff retreats and they do, I think, some, you know, very, very occasional online meetings. But I think they pretty much set, you know, they have some flexibility that way. They let people set their own hours. But it's, it, you know, I think that's part of the culture is I wonder if there's a difference between a company which is principally uh, people working in the office versus a company where it's principally yeah. remote. I th- yeah, I agree with that. I think I think that is a big part of that book is that, you know, they started as a place where they didn't have really a way to do an office, right? Um, and and so I think that is why it's like that. Or I, I think if you start with the idea, and they sort of point that out, like, if you start with the idea that, like, uh, all of our employees here in home city are at the office, but, you know, if you live in another city, it's fine that you're – you have all this flexible time, then people in the office are going to hate you. <laughs> um, right. Because, for obvious and good reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think you could probably build a company culture where you know, the folks who work on site also have the flexible schedule. But I think right. because we're all, we were all sort of raised in this culture, you know, our expectations of work probably from, you know, our first jobs, you know, and what we watch our parents do and what we see on television is all around that basic kind of nine to five, or if not nine to five, you know, if it's shift work, it's very set schedules. Right. Um, you kind of would have to train everybody out of it, right? Well, and that's it's funny you say that because as someone who trained as a librarian who has reference desks, um, like that is the opposite. Like always, reference desks are like, well, Sunday from three to nine, that's a shift, you know. Or um, so it's funny. Like I am, I feel going back into a business world, I'm like, oh, yeah, we got to go to a normal schedule. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think there's lots of business, lots of sure. things in business across the board where th- there are sort of swing shifts, for lack of a right. better way of putting it, but they're always driven by the demand, by like the demands of the business, not based upon not the, the convenience the of the worker, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, you know so you might have a schedule which which is you know six to six to midnight or, or six to two a.m. you know because you work in a factory and they run twenty four hours or right or because you're a clerk or you've got to do customer service or you're watching a server or your reference librarian or something like that. I think yeah. what what we don't see is the idea that oh I have a job which is mostly about. I need to get these things done. I'm a knowledge worker for all intents and purposes. The other thing I would say that um, I think is true uh, based on my very small experience now and from that book that I really loved and I think should be a bigger point. uh, It's not the point of the book, but it's the idea that like one of the biggest arguments against um, having everyone work remotely if they want to is this idea of like, well, what if it's, 1 p.m. and the site goes down and I really need someone and of course they're in Finland so they're not awake and you know all this idea um, is that uh, it's it, it brings emergencies down because you're forced to plan ahead because right. you know you realize like everyone is on a different schedule and like you can't just everything can't just be an emergency and I really like of course you're going to have on call people for actual emergencies um, but the idea that like 
I think in the modern business world, everyone has this this situation where it's like, this is not an emergency. You could have planned ahead, but you chose not to um, with a coworker. And I, I did really like that aspect of the book as well. You're right. I mean, I exactly. I mean, I think, you know, they're, they're, it's like everybody's on call can be the culture. And this isn't just, you know, it isn't just in business. It's in all sorts of universities, all sorts of workplaces. Right. And I think that that's it's a very unhealthy uh, because it it means that anybody could be torn off of and this is why I didn't like about you know work I've had in the past anybody could be torn off a task at any time and it doesn't mean that that can't happen in any job but that it becomes much more likely in in that sort of emergency driven uh structure rather than setting up mechanisms and staffing that accepts that there are some things that require on-call response and putting people in place who like to work like that, first of all. Or, um, or, you know, hey, the swing shift here is actually just the normal morning shift in Finland or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that idea that like, oh, now no one gets stuck with the sucky shift, I think is a great idea too, where it's like, oh, that's convenient. Right. Yeah. And if it, Right. If you're a night owl, <laughs> you could have that shift or we can, hi- right, because it's all online, we could hire someone in Finland who can be, you know, ready to do it when the rest of North America is sleeping. Exactly. I think that makes a lot of sense. And and right. And when you take, you know, locationality out of it, when you when you don't require that someone has to, to be in a particular location to, to take care of things, which technology allows us to do, um, you know, then it, it, we hope it also makes it, you know, nicer for the people who are doing the working. <laughs> yeah. And along like with that. Yeah. And along with that plan ahead thing, the idea that like, oh, if I can if if I can finish this widget of work, that will help out my coworker because then they can start on it while I'm asleep, and then I can get back that widget of work and continue on. You know, that idea of of just way more planning and structuring around your work, I think, is a really awesome idea. Yeah, and you know, I've experienced it in jobs, usually only around things like holidays. You know, when there's going to be like a winter break. And we, everyone sits down and goes, oh, we should figure out, like, who's going to be around, what days, and, and making sure there's somebody around and they know that they're sort of a little bit more on call for certain things during that time. And you can plan around it, you know, as opposed to everyone's supposed to be here, but we never really know who's here and we've never really thought about it. <laughs> yeah, or everyone's supposed to be here, but then you go there on that day and there's no reason for everyone to be here at all, <laughs> which I've had that experience before, right. uh, where it's like, oh... Um, if anything happens, my job isn't vital in any way. So why am I here? <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. And I think, you know, I, I do. And I, and I, I mean, I'm going to stress that principle of treating people like responsible adults, because I think that's, you know, the so many people I know who seem very unhappy in their jobs or people I've known who, you know, I've worked around and were very unhappy and then seem to perform minimally, you know, enough to get by, but never, never really excelling and seem to be unhappy as a result. I think it's because they often feel like they're being, they're not being treated like adults. They're being treated like children, right? There's, you know, and they're being forced to, to do things that they don't want to do in a way they don't want to do them, you know, and it's not about you shouldn't, you know, work shouldn't ever require you to do something that you're not thrilled about, so much is that it's much more of a dialogue and much more of, uh, you know, it's much more like sorting out, you know, who's going to clean the kitchen than it is uh, force. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, though, there's a downside to that in that, so I get the same thing where I have various relatives and friends who are like, man, I could never, either the, oh, you probably never do any work because, mm-hmm. you know, you're at home, or the, like, man, I could never work at home, I would just, like, hang out and take naps, or, um, you know, that idea that that a lot of people don't get treated like responsible adults at their job because they're not responsible adults. Um, but is it and nature I, and I, or I, I is it I think it's nurture? a circle. Yeah, well, right? but I think it's a circle. I agree. I think it's like, well, if if people are going to be on my ass all the time to see if I micromanaging me to see if I'm going to do work, then I'm going to take as many, I'm going to slack as much as I possibly can just to screw the man. Like, I think it goes both ways. But uh, yeah, and of course, because that's the structure we currently have, that's how people feel. But I do think there is an aspect where it's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it might, it's not for everyone. I do know people who have worked at home and have chosen to go back because it's not for them. Um, I, I could even see this in myself that like, you know, I do have to be at work at certain times of the day and those are not the times of the day I am most useful. So, um, to me, that's like, oh, well, I'm going to find myself working at 7 p.m. sometimes, even though that's also not my ideal time of the day to work because, you know, um, of the way this structure works. So, uh, like, I have a friend I know who, um, you know, just wouldn't do stuff for most of the day and then be like, oh, crap, I have all this stuff to do, and now I'm working on my own time because I can't be responsible enough to do this stuff Mm -hmm. on time. Not because I don't like doing it, but just because I'm at home. So, like, maybe I'll make a really extensive, lavish lunch, and that's awesome. But, (laughs) you know, that idea. Or I think there is also a, a, a personal thing where it's like, all right, if I can work at home, that means I can work at any time of the day or night. So when am I working and when am I not working? So I think there are things that it's not suited for everyone. And I think that's fine. Um, I just think it's hard to know that until that sort of happens to you. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not here to say that that right, that everyone should do it or could. Because um, I think it's important for people to work in ways that they're comfortable. Um, it's more that I think that even you could take you take you could take that principle of being treated like an adult to you know a normal workplace. It doesn't have to be the work at home situation. You know, I mean, people do things all the time on their own accord, right? So you know. Lots of people mow their lawn on their own accord. Lots of people, you know, take care of their children. Lots of people, uh, you know, build model airplanes or knit or do all sorts of things that on the one hand, we call them hobbies or we say they're fun to do, but really are actually work. Right. You know, even even like sort of perfecting your your golf swing. Part of it is fun and part of it is work. And people manage to do this, right? They manage to, to find ways to find the time and to do it. So it, uh, there's no reason, I think, why people can't do that about actual jobs and actual work as well and be trusted to do so. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is, I think, also that part of nurture, right? If, if you haven't been expected to and you haven't learned how to maybe even do that, then, you know, it, it's a real transition. Yeah, I mean, I just think uh, we've all worked with someone who – doesn't do their fucking job <laughs> and like gets out of work as much as possible, whether it's at home or not at home, you know? Um, and I think as much as I agree and love that whole like rework and tech 
what are we on now? 4.0? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> uh, idea that it's like, well, let's treat everyone as adults. Like, it does break down every once in a while because not everyone acts like an adult. <laughs> yeah, well, but right. But, but all these things break down. Which is not a reason to not do it. Well, I'm right. just saying yeah. uh, it's, it is it is a thing to, like, think about, it, not only about yourself, uh, but which is a hard truth to, like, maybe learn about yourself. But, um I mean, I think it's always going to be a sort of a balance of, of the idea of, like, how much are people checking up on you versus how much are you actually just doing things. Right. But, you know, yeah. I was in community radio for years, and I, I was in sort of management in community radio, right? And you'd have – I mean, you know, and, and then you have something like, you know, someone had this radio show, right, on a volunteer basis, but the, the plus side being they could do kind of whatever they wanted to do, right? And you'd have people who would fuck off on that, right, who would stop – who wouldn't show up and whatever. Then you call them on to be like – and they get all up and, you know, and you'd be like, so you slack at something which, <laughs> you know, is fun ostensibly, which you asked to do and now you know and, and and it was one of those things that like yeah it breaks down everywhere so even in a case in which you know we're talking about something you know for which you're not paid which you're volunteering to do and you quit doing it and then when someone says well you quit doing it so that means you quit doing it <laughs> you don't get to come anymore they would get up in iron they're like oh this is fascist regime etc cetera, etc cetera. you know and you're like well if you want to do the show you have to show up to do the show. That's that's the minimum requirement. To what do percentage that. of your experiences with community related things end with someone being called a fascist? Because I'm <laughs> guessing many. it's real high. <laughs> Too many. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I just think like it sucks. Uh, I think people are afraid. Uh, people who run companies. Uh, like no one wants to get in that situation where we all have to call the person on not doing their fucking job. Um, and then on the other hand, I've, I've definitely worked in situations where it's like, how do we deal with the person who is working all the time? But, you know, <laughs> and how do we... Account, I mean, accountability is great, right? And it goes both ways. And certainly in community radio, you know, the one thing we did that improved that situation 200% is that when we did the training classes, <laughs> the first thing we told everybody, first thing, first day was, so you do this, you're signing up for a show. That means you are making a commitment. <laughs> you are expected to be there. You can get someone to substitute for you. That is completely legitimate. You must do that. If you don't, you will lose your show. <laughs> First thing. And then you always have someone raises their hand and goes, well, what if, right? You always have the what if guy, right? Well, what if I'm eaten by a, so you you. Know, a shark, <laughs> by, you know, eats my leg, you know, whatever. Like, look, we're all human beings here. We're all like, but you need to put yourself in the place of the person who's on before you. And so they're sitting there at three o'clock waiting for you to show up. And they have to go, you know, pick up their, their child at daycare or they have to go go to work or they're expected to, to, to go do something else. They have a doctor's appointment or something. And now you're making them wait. You need to think of it that way, not think of it like, oh, there are these rules and you're doing whatever. But the answer is yes. If you get your leg bit off by a shark, we're, we're going to cover for you. But – you need to think about what would be the excuse that you're going to accept. Because <laughs> if you wouldn't accept the excuse, then we're not. And, well, yeah. Okay. And, and, and the thing, though, is that what happened always after that class, after that first training class, we usually did that guy who asked the question, you know, the, 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 and it's, all, it's always fucking guys. But it was always guys who were like asking those, well, what if, uh, my, you know, whatever, I get a flat tire, whatever. You didn't see them at the second training class. 
<laughs> and I think that that, you know, in the same way, you know, when a player says, look, we're going to expect you to be this way. We're going to expect you to, well, and, 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 and really there aren't excuses. You need to be accountable. You need to be accountable. You need to behave like an adult right then and there. People will select themselves out if that's said explicitly and upfront. Yeah. I mean, but I think there's another, I, I guess what I was getting at was the opposite of that, where um, I've had several jobs where even with a nine to five type job, there's that person who comes in at eight and leaves at seven because they feel pressured to do so. Or, and I think when you're at home, it's a little bit, it's even easier than that where it's like, well, I'm never off work. And and they do talk about this in rework too. And I think when someone's at home, it's a little bit harder to see that. And just the idea of, I mean, I don't know for you, but I feel this way. And I think most at home workers feel this way is, um, you know, what I could get done in four hours at home is probably what I can get done in two days at a office job. Um, not always, but like I can get way more done mm-hmm. by myself because no one's interrupting me. Um, and so then there's that other aspect of like, well, what is a reasonable output, uh, you know, for me? Uh, like, am I ch- expectations and standards around that? Um you know, well, if I can get so much more work done, then now it's an even higher bar for me to achieve at, you know, and and I think being at at home by yourself with no other workers can go the other way too, where it's like, now I'm working all the time. Yeah, and right. And, 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 you know, and the only answer to that is that it's about, you know, employees and bosses being in dialogue, right, and discussing these things and having, you know, something that looks like agreement, right? I mean, you know, that, I mean, I think that's part of it, you know, I mean, because I think, you know, it, 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 it is a two-way street that way, you know. Well, yeah, and if you can work any time, which is great, as, as Rework, like, emphasizes, then you can also work any time, which is also <laughs> terrible. So it's a little bit of both, I think. Right, and, and I think, and it's up for the person who does that to – right to try and guard themselves. But I think it's also incumbent upon an employer that wants happy employees who do, who aren't burnt out and make themselves sick and such to also emphasize that point, you know, to say, look, you know, we, we, here's what we expect from you in this, in, 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 in this week, right? Here's what we expect you to have accomplished now. And we'll be in dialogue with you, whether or not you seem to be doing enough or also, if you seem to be doing too much, <laughs> like we may be great, but we may also start to wonder, oh, are you going to burn yourself out? Right. Because that's the other part is that, you know, and, and you see more writing about this in the business press, you know, and in, in things like the Harvard Business Review or in like, you know, uh, uh, Fast Company, you know, people, you know, employers recognizing that, oh, wait, the 60 hours of work isn't better than 40 hours of work. It's not really 50 percent more. <laughs> in some cases, it's less because people run themselves down and and become less and less productive after multiple weeks of this routine rather than having churned out that much more work. But why is no one ever studying well like this 30 hours a week is way better? They are. <laughs> no, I know, but I like you don't hear about them as much. Uh I mean I've I mean I'd have to go do some research. I've read some articles recently basically arguing that um based upon uh, research and based upon opinion, um, including folks who are, uh, you know, fairly prominent in American business saying, you know, something like a 30 hour week might actually be better for all involved, you know, and is a more realistic expectation. 
Um, because, you know, so I, sometimes I wonder if the 40-plus-hour expectation is sort of built upon an expectation of slack, right? Well, we know you're going to fuck off for 10 of those hours <laughs> kind of expectation <laughs> rather than, you know, so it's really 30 hours of work, but you're going to fuck off for 10 to 15 of it, you know? Right. You know, so, you know, and then you have this sort of Google sort of you, you live at Google kind of. <laughs> situation so we give you we give you foosball and pinball free soda pop and lunches but you Although never I read, leave <laughs> i read a thing today about uh google workers who have lived at google yes um and what like, about them <laughs> uh just just based just like uh it was mainly about you know people who purchased campers like camper vans uh <laughs> and then would like shower there and eat three of their meals there and then one of them was a guy who saved up enough money to buy a house Mm-hmm. By doing that, um, and then uh, the house several, in Mountain View is is yeah is that's no small I mean that's sum. a lot of money, <laughs> yeah. and then other people were um, you know just people who had like gone through some sort of like divorce and had alimony, um, and one guy said he had he had a van that had been tricked out by burners, people who go to Burning Man, <laughs> so he had like blackout curtains and stuff, and he said once. A security guard came over and was like, what's going on here? And he was he was like, oh, I'm an employee. And then after that, he didn't bother him. Mm-hmm. And the, the tone of this article was like, how ridiculous is that? And I was like, <laughs> I don't see why this is a big deal. <laughs> like, if, you're right. I mean, it's sort of just... <laughs> like, it seems sucky for your life, personally. Yeah. Like, it's reductio ad absurdum. <laughs> I was just like, I don't... If people want to live at Google, like, that's fine with me. <laughs> I don't see why that's, like, illegal. No, and, and especially since there seems to be some company culture kind of around that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I could see if they were, like, sleeping there and had their clothes at their desk or something, which I have worked somewhere where that happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, you're sleeping in the in the parking lot. Who cares? <laughs> I didn't have that at work. I had that certainly in community radio stations where you're definitely like, hmm, this person's taking a night shift, I think, to sleep, not to uh, – <laughs> To actually, <laughs> not to actually do it. There's a whole lot of. They seem to be pre-recording. You're like, their why shows. is it dead air all the time? <laughs> or why has it been like the same two-hour show all week long? <laughs> you know, That's creative. I enjoy that. <laughs> I did know someone in college who slept who who lived in the library. Yeah, and our library closed at like three, so he would have to be home by three, and then he had to hide. Because the security guard would go through, and he didn't like want to steal things or anything, but right. you know, so he would ha- then have to hide. And he like think he made it like almost all the way through the year. I don't think they ever caught him. I think he just ended up moving out. <laughs> it finally, but, uh, got to be too much. Yeah, uh, but uh, I mean, I can see there that's like a security risk. But Google's open twenty four hours, so who cares? Right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't no, see I'm not sure it was that's a, big deal. a healthy uh, environment. No, I agree. I don't think it's healthy, but I don't think that's like. We should be concerned because it, it seemed like the, the tone of the article and in general, the idea of people sleeping at work is like, you're somehow screwing over the company. Uh, right. Yeah. Probably. Google, I have a hard time seeing that be the case. Um, but what I, from what I know, having never worked there, and I'm not sure I know anybody who's worked there. Um, I know several people who work there. Yes. Well. And they all do not like it so. <laughs> yes <laughs> i applied for a job there many many years ago never heard back so i did too here's another thing i applied for a job or someone recommended me for a job there like they sent my resume in 
And then when they inquired about it, HR was like, oh, we interviewed her and it didn't go well, but they had never interviewed me. Hmm. They, so that's extra bizarre. They interviewed you in your sleep. <laughs> yeah, right. They by interview me, they meant we looked up her search history. They interviewed something. your avatar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was like, why didn't you tell me you were being interviewed? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I would have. But I, I think this, you know, all tends to go back to this point, you know, that if you can, you really ought to try and do work that you like <laughs> in the way that you like to do it. So it's not going to be universal for everybody. Not, you know, but that, if, you know, if you're the kind of person who, who couldn't, you know, would have a hard time working at home in part because you like being around people or whatever. Great. Find a good office job. Find, try to try to your best to investigate and find an office that you w will like being in around people you will like and do that job and try to find doing, you know, doing things that you want to do that you enjoy doing. Um, cause I think it's really, it's that point at which when you're really doing things that you don't like doing, or you're very bad at, and you don't want to get good at in a way that you don't want to do in an environment you don't want to be in is when things go really wrong for most people. You know? Yeah. And I think, um, working for home for a lot of people like can, can prolong that, that job even if you don't like it just because you can be like okay i'll get this over with in three hours right and then i'll you know go about my day doing my other things um i think freelancers run into that a lot too right you know there's a lot of discussion often in amongst freelancers about firing clients right because you get this you know so you get a client right maybe it pays well or whatever but they're you know demanding and exacting and you you know and generally you you don't enjoy working for them but you're like, well, but, I, you know, I get to be at home. They pay me well or whatever. And, you know, and, and it can sort of prolong you working in a, in a situation or for somebody that, that really isn't working out for you and maybe is even taking you away from finding better clients. You know, yeah. I think I think that, that that the freelance being a freelancer kind of highlights that monopolization. Right. Because we're so used to, you know, most people, you know, well, not most people, but, you know. Jobs tend to be well, – many jobs tend to be full-time. Career-like jobs generally are full-time, right? So you generally only have one. You know, So it naturally monopolizes you. And we don't always think about the fact that working a, working a job you hate or really don't like or which just isn't a good fit for you keeps you from working a job that you might like and is a good fit for you. Um, whereas when you're a freelancer, right, having a client – you know, maybe and maybe it's taking up a lot of your business, if not all of it, uh, that you really don't like or is really kind of wearing on you. It, it, it's a little clear that, oh, that's really keeping you from having a better client because <laughs> if, you know, that person's soaking up 30 hours a week, that doesn't leave you a lot of hours for maybe what would be a better client. But, you know, there's risk, as there always is. And people don't like risk. <laughs> Who does? Yeah. Um, so are you endorsing your selling out? Do you think, do you feel that selling out was a good plan? Yes. Yeah, so far, I think it's a good plan. I agree. I'm pro my selling out. You know, I expensed a manicure the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, so, uh, I've not, uh, I've not expensed, uh, anything so far, but that's fine. I, <laughs> we're kind of a scrappy company. So I, it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, it got flagged on my expense report and someone was like, what's up with this? <laughs> then I explained it and they were like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. We, um, 
you know, and I have to say, I, it's because you know the fact that you know I, I, I endorse it selling out because it, I did not do it under duress. You know, I, I give myself enough time and space, and you know, like you had, you know, saved up money so that uh, it wasn't an immediate need for a job, so that I was in a, I think, put me in a better position to have something very appropriate land in, land in my lap for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in that time off, I think the, I mean, for both of us, it seems like the networking aspect made jobs come to us. <laughs> um, yeah, in a way I would not have expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, doing things, I think when people think about networking, you think like, this sort of desperate attempt in a cocktail party to make other people like you in case they have a job that they would like to give you. And I think it is changing more to be like being as public about things that you're interested in as possible. And then people will ask you about them and then maybe that will lead to a job and like having to talk to people in a way that is, does not seem work related at all until that finally does become work related. Yeah, I mean, it's a chance, right? And it's a chance that it didn't exist in the same way before. Because I think there always was a natural aspect to, to networking. and But that it required much more, like, physical preference, presence, like And so not even, like, the sort of cocktail party example, that might be one. It might have been, you know... Uh, going, you know, going to a meeting, a meetup of some sort, but it might have not been called a meetup pre.com uh, for people who, you know, were all interested in the same topic, you know, sales or, or I don't know, computer engineering or something like that, or, or homebrewing beer, for instance, you know, and, and by virtue of, of meeting people and sort of demonstrating in a very natural way, both your interest, inclination and, and your ability, you know, kind of puts you in touch with other people, right? And now we can do this in a way that doesn't even require leaving your house. Yeah, and I think just uh, obviously when you're soliciting people in a way that seems sort of sleazy business-wise, um, you know, because you want something for them from them, it feels gross and often doesn't result in the best options, which I would think of as most hanging out with recruiters always feels like that to me. Um, <laughs> I've not done that. <laughs> or like just any conversation with recruiters, you're like, mm, this is kind of a weird prostitution scenario. <laughs> like where you're, where you're like, Hey, why don't you apply to this job that you're totally not interested in? Huh? <laughs> um, right. And that's why, I mean, the advice I just, I've given to people is that, you know, especially to people who, who maybe, you know, preparing to be out of work or, or 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 are out of work or marginally working it's like well try and find something i mean find something you want would like to do that you like to do and that you know and it helps if it's something other people might find valuable and make sure you're doing it and make sure that other people know you're doing it you know i don't think it's a all things for all comers right it's in as we've talked in the past in the show you know if you just want to sit and play guitar in your in your bedroom all day that may be personally satisfying it's gonna be a little harder to find a job but if you kind of start playing out or finding other people to play with or looking for opportunities to play that might be remunerative you meet more people if you're getting good they get to see how good you are and you're much more likely to find an opportunity no guarantees but but your likelihood goes goes way up yeah, but just be awesome at a thing you like and keep your eyes open and don't be mean to people. And don't be afraid to let other people know. 
Yeah, yeah. I did read there was an article vague that I I scanned over that was like, um, if you think layoffs are coming in your company, what you should do. And um, some of them were like, you should clean out your desk on a quarterly schedule, which I was like, that is a great <laughs> idea. Because as someone who worked somewhere for four years, and then realized they had to quit, they were I was like, oh, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I gotta do something. Um, My so you should do was, that <laughs> was pretty monumental. After yeah, especially, five years. If especially if you're like, I'm gonna quit. Maybe I don't want to seem like someone who's cleaning out their desk. <laughs> um, so I would say that's a good unrelated tip. Um, but it was also like, uh, you know, if you get laid off, you should have an, an email up to date that's like, here are opportun opportunities I'm interested in in going for. Um, and just sort of every once in a while, like email your friends and be like, and or your network, you know, if you have a mentor or something, mm -hmm. and not in a way. I think I think there is a line between begging people all of the time and you know being like, "Whoa, is me? I was laid off," and just being like, "Hey, here's the stuff I'm interested in. Here's you know the portfolio I have, and if anyone, if you hear of anyone interested in this sort of position and you feel good about it, if you could let them know, that would be awesome. Or let me know about what you hear about." Um, because for me, like, I think once someone says that, you know, if I see that job, obviously, I'm going to send it to them. Um, but, you know, how do I ever know if you're looking for a job or not? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's part of that overall ethos that if you don't ask, you, you greatly reduce your chance of getting. And, you know, I understand, I do get the impulse and I've had it myself where people don't want to ask, you don't want to bother other people, you don't want to seem like you're asking, or there's a, a, a sort of a mirror version of that, which is the sort of, well, I shouldn't have to ask, right? Merit and, and or I'm so embarrassed, I got laid noticed. off. Right, or right. And the fact is, people get laid off all the time, and many or people you know have been laid I guess. off. <laughs> right, or many people you know have been fired, and, right. every, and they recover. And, well, you know, if you, if you want, is it, you know, there's the world you might want and there's the world as it is. And if you want to try and force the world to be as you want it to be, that's a perfectly valid choice. You're going to have to work a lot harder and deal with a lot more disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> See our last two episodes ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think, the, but I mean, I have gotten those emails in a way that were terrible, that were like, begging and a person who wasn't qualified at something and who badmouthed their previous employer, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, in begging for a new job um, that none of us could recommend them for. So, I mean, I, I do think that there's a way to do that really poorly, but I think there's also a way that, I mean, I don't even think it has to be self-effacing, but just like, even if you said, you know, I'm, I don't have a lot of experience in this, but if you see any internships in this coming up or any projects I could work on in the meantime, let me know. Or, you know, I do have skills at this if you see anything about that. I mean, I think you don't even have to lose a job to send that email. I think, absolutely. you know, uh, even in basic conversation, if you bring it up, um, the idea that you're looking for a certain thing. Um, I mean, we there's that whole, I don't remember what it's called, but that idea of like, once you hear about something, you hear about it all the time. Yeah. Or what, yeah, idea. once you notice it, yeah. Right, right. And so I think that that's, that's one of those things that once someone tells me like, oh, I'm looking for a job in this specific field, all of a sudden, like, I hear that specific field brought up like five times, you know? So, I mean, more people out there looking for, 
for your, uh, an experience that will help you is yeah. good. And I've definitely yeah. gotten those emails or gotten a communication through LinkedIn like that. That was that was appropriate and well well written, well nicely written, not demanding but honest. Yeah, yeah, I, not super long. That's a thing yeah. to yeah. keep it keep it short. <laughs> well, that's just I mean you can always <laughs> yeah you can always like link to your resume. That's cool. That's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think again the idea of like passing it by a friend who might mm-hmm. be able to tell you if this is totally ridiculous. Exactly. I, I think that's right. And, and, you know, put yourself out there. If, 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 you know, if you don't want to, that's okay. It limits your choices. It limits your opportunities. And, you know, maybe the world will be different. Maybe I'd like a different world. <laughs> right. But, you know, we, we all have to sort of negotiate these different constraints and, and figure out um, – figure out what we'll do but it seems to me it it, it it must it must make more sense to try and if you if you're going to have to try, try to test yourself a little bit and you're going to have to take on a little bit of risk and maybe put yourself out there why not do it doing something that you like to do that you enjoy doing that you might be proud of as opposed to something which uh, is going to suck yeah and for i think you. nowadays unless you have a job that's like very clear and distinct like bus driver um i don't know about you but like all of my friends jobs are a little opaque to me like (laughs) especially like if i've known them for more than three years you know and they've gone through a series of jobs you're like i know that they do things with like an educational institution (laughs) right but i'm not really sure what or what it's called like and i mean of course because you know you don't specifically re-explain your job every day to your friends nor should you um so i think it's always good to just clarify that like here are some terms that of job titles that i'm looking for here's what i actually do yeah yeah well here's what i actually do for a living and instead of assuming like everyone really knows that because even even if it is a pretty clear title like if it's in another field like i have a friend who's a producer of video stuff in Hollywood, but producer there means a different thing than like producer at like an educational film company, for right. example. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what, what skills right. would I see in a job like ad that would match with that. I have no idea. At an educational <laughs> film company in Indianapolis. It means that they towed around cameras, write scripts, right. <laughs> drive right. the bus in Hollywood. <laughs> it means, uh, you know, they manage talent. They they go they go uh, they whip up money. Yeah, <laughs> there's like a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of administrative tasks that right. I'm un- unclear on. Yeah, so I mean, I think I, I I think especially if they're outside of your field, but even in the field, like I know librarians who do all these different things that I'm like I don't even understand how that works or what the difference between your job and someone else's job is. So I I mean I think that's another thing that that we all assume like oh our friends know what we do and I don't think it's a a bad thing that they don't. I don't think they're being jerk friends. I just think like there comes a certain point in your friendship with someone where you can no longer ask what they mm-hmm. do for a living. I know because I mean certainly <laughs> The entire uh, however many years I worked in higher education, 13, 14 years, uh, people definitely said to me, um, what, what do you do again? <laughs> and well, I would or- say it and they would still just look at me quizzically and go, oh, uh, okay. right. <laughs> or I mean even uh, you know, over the years, especially if you do freelance things, like you gain more skills. And yep. I mean I think it's sometimes not even – apparent to us, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of like, oh, I guess now that the technology is changing, I'm sort of doing a different thing. Or even, you know, jo- my job titles have varied 
so wildly, even though I do the exact same thing at every place I work. So, um, I mean, if I'm asking for some someone to help me find a job, you know, they're really only going to look for jobs that say taxonomy in the title when in reality, I don't think I've had, I think I've had one job where that was my title. So, <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, I mean, I think that's always helpful, uh, in your network to be like, Hey guys, here's what I actually do for a living. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We take our advice or take don't. Our advice. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> hey, ni- neither of us wanted jobs and we both have them. So <laughs> I think that's a pretty good advertisement. <laughs> For our job counseling, <laughs> I in fact have been asked for for to get another job, and I was like, "No, thank you." <laughs> I have not. So, uh, yeah, a I could currently have three jobs, mm. but I don't want three jobs, so that's that's an issue. Well, that, that's an issue for a different show. Um, do you have a thing you like? I do. I have a thing I really like, and I'm telling everyone I know um, to a point where I think my friends are like, "Shut up." Uh, it's a show called Naked and Afraid, which Shut sounds up. terrible. Do you love that show? Is that your thing? No. No. Um, it's a I show. Just, it's <laughs> All your friends are telling you to shut up. Shut up. Yeah, yeah. It's a rea- I, I thought it would be awesome if that was your thing as well. It's a reality show, but uh, most people I know who have watched it I, or have gotten hooked on it aren't big reality show people. Um, it's on Discovery. Um, it's in its third season, and I think it's actually super popular, uh, although no one I knew had ever heard of it. Um I heard because, of it. Okay, it's so popular now that they have like an after show, like Breaking Bad or something, um, called Naked After Dark, which is hilarious. But are they, um, are they wearing clothes? Yes, I think so. Uh, I don't know. I've not, not watched really Naked, Naked After, after Dark, Dark yet. I have not seen it yet, so it's unclear. But basically, the premise is two people who have survivalist skills, um, who have like primitive, they teach like primitive survival, um, are sent to like a terrible place, a terrible place for like the swamp or the jungle for like 21 days. And they each can bring one thing and that's it. And they have to survive and make it to like a rendezvous point at the end. And it's always one woman and one man and they have to be naked. Pretty much everyone brings a knife and a fire starter 100% of the time. (laughs) Not 80% of the time. And um, I think that although ostensibly this show is like a survivory man versus the wild thing, it's really just weird anti-man propaganda. <laughs> because the beginning of every episode is this dude being like, I hope she pulls her weight. She's so terrible. Starting this, she's all concerned about fire and drinking water. <laughs> and then by like week one, he's like, I'm going to die and then drops out (laughs) and then the woman stays for like 20 days on her own. So, um, it's so, and it also really like frankly discusses, uh, women having their period on television, which is like really weird for a reality show. That's like, that seems like it's a pretty, like it could be a really exploitative, like stupid reality show, but, uh, it talks about these really like strange things. And I think, when you hear naked and afraid, you think it's going to be this like, oh, are they going to have sex? Because they're always naked. Like like uh, naked dating. Yeah, dating right. Naked. And they make it so clear. They're like, you smell so bad and you hate this person <laughs> you're with for 21 days. Even if they're a great person, by the end, you're like, I cannot stand being with this person anymore. Like, it is the opposite of anything. So I wonder if there will ever, so far, I have not seen an episode where they, you know, hook up or anything. And usually they're married or... You know, sometimes they have religious convictions. Um, and they 
as opposed, I, again, I think they could have done it like a survivor where it's like two people who will hate each other, but they generally try and pair up people who have like complementary skills and will get along. And, you know, they don't always get along, but I think it's a really cool idea to have a reality show that's based on teamwork as opposed to, you know, competition or, um, you know, drama, I guess. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, I like that too. Yeah, so I mean, it's. I think it's just a really, even if you don't love reality shows or love the genre, I think it's like a new way of doing a reality show that's uh, worth watching one or two, you know, if you're in a hotel room, which is where I discovered it. Um, and uh, I, it's just weird to have a TV show also where it's like, oh, women are an actual character who fend for themselves <laughs> as opposed to like, are taken care of, which I don't think... Based on the behind-the-scenes episode I watched, it seems like a mostly male uh, production staff, so I don't think it was, like, an intended purpose of the show. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. I like it. All right. Um, so my thing is stupid and esoteric, but I got a new mat for my turntable, and it's made out of cork, and it's amazing. <laughs> So, you know, it's for playing records. I know you're not so pro I'm the pro records. records. I'm pro records if they don't come out on another, if it's not another media. I see. So they're available in addition to MP3s, etc. Right. Um, like I have records from the time when there were records. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, there are records now. No, I know. But when records was the option. <laughs> I see. That are not <laughs> There was always cassette or 8-track. But I'm saying that haven't been migrated to other formats. Uh, the CD or something, correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, the mat is what you put on top of the turntable. You put the record on top of that. And uh, the turntable came with this felt mat. I was never happy with it because it's always staticky and sticking to the records. And uh, I wanted to get, like, uh, a new mat. But, you know, like so much of this stuff that, you know, that's audiophile or for for people who are into turntables, they're all like absurdly expensive. So, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I got bought my turntable used 11 years ago for like $225. And then I, I look at, you know, replace the man. It would be like $75, which is just nuts to me. Right. So I, I you know, I, so I never did it. Right. And then there's like these DJ mats, but they're made for people who scratch and things like that. So I don't want that. So never did it. And uh, I thought, well, a lot of these are made out of cork. I should just go get like one of those pieces of cork you, you put a plant on and punch a hole in it. But of course, I never got around to doing that or finding one that I thought was right. But then I find just I'm looking at this uh, company in Boston. They uh, kickstarted a new turntable or called U-Turn. And they, they sell a $200 turntable that's actually really good. And uh, they ended up hooking up with a company in Brooklyn that makes cork mats, like makes them for plants and shit like that. And the company said, hey, we really like your turntable. We found that our cork mat works really well on your turntable. You should sell our, our cork for your turntable. And they punch a hole in the right place for it. But instead of being like $75, it's $20. And I'm like, great. So I bought it, slapped it on my turntable, and it sounds so much better. And, you know, I usually don't go in for this audiophile juju nonsense, you know, where they're like, well, if you get the $300 cables and you get the special riser so that they don't on the floor, then the frictional velocity of your carpet won't interrupt the, uh, the electrons going to your speakers. You know, I don't go for that usually. I but just I, fell asleep while you're saying yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, and I, but I put it on there and not only is it less staticky, which is nice, um, it sounds better. 
like a lot of the like background noise of vinyl, a lot of the the sort of uh, clicks and pops and stuff really muted or went away. I could I, I could not believe it except that I could hear it and it really happened. So it's twenty dollars. Yeah, it was the best twenty dollars I've ever spent for on my turntable. And it's an awesome example of the networking we were discussing. Where, <laughs> right, exactly. Where the Quark people were like, "We like your thing. We do a good thing too. Let's talk about it." <laughs> and we can, you know, and we can make it so that you can sell them for twenty dollars, not seventy-five or a hundred. Right. Which you know, and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's it's artisanal cork from, from Brooklyn. <laughs> 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 Although I'm pretty sure, like, this cork factory is not, like, some, like, you know, hipsters who, you know. It's in a red, warehouse in Williamsburg. Who are, yeah, or in Red Hook or something. I think it's really, like, a cork factory or cork. I guess you don't make cork, but you you process cork. That's probably been there for, like, a century. I haven't looked it up. But, what is uh, the name of the cork company? Oh, gosh, I don't know, actually. Okay. I, think. I think it's on the U-Turn website, so I could, I could look that up. But yeah. We'll get that into the show notes. But uh, if you've got a turntable. Um, and you're willing to spend 20 bucks on a turntable mat, uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, it's probably not going to do very, very much for you if you buy one of those plastic cro- – if you got one of those like plastic crossleys. But uh, you know that, that's a topic for another show. <laughs> Jack Black uh, – uh, he's got his – Jack White. I'm sorry, Jack. Yeah, Black. wrong Jack. Wrong Jack. Uh Jack White's cut is is now uh, selling one of those plastic crossley turntables. He he also uh is is um collaborating with Robert Plant. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we got another show to do. <laughs> Uh, This came out today, but I will quote uh, uh, Robert Plant. I love Jack White's buccaneer spirit and the way he dodges through the musical horizons. (laughs) That sounds like So I think it's that Robert Plant is courting Jack White to make make music. I don't know that they've agreed to it yet, but yeah. Well, if you're Jack White, I mean, come on. I mean, you worked with the Insane Clown Boss. You're going to work with Robert Plant. Yeah, no, I mean, I think he'll work with whoever. All right. Very well. I think we've done it. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Paul.